0: Our scripture reading for today is Hebrews 10:19 through 25. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Good afternoon. So I wanted to introduce our guest speaker for today, Reverend Andrew Kim. Um, She and Pastor Dave were classmates during seminary, and I think this is your third or fourth time with us already, right? So we've had the privilege of having her back here today. Um, As you can see by the biography and the bulletin, she comes with a range of experience, and I'm sure many of you could bond with her through the love of K-pop. So we want to welcome um, Reverend Andrew to speak with us today.
1: Uh, it's great to see all of you again. I'm glad the sun is out. I don't know how it has been here in New Jersey, but in New York, we've had a lot of rain and cloudy Sundays this past year. Uh, I'm truly privileged and glad to be worshiping with all of you again. Um, I would rather that it would have been under better and different circumstances, but I know that all of you are praying for Pastor David, and that he will get better and stronger soon. So think of it as an opportunity. Hey, I haven't really prayed that much for Pastor David, uh, so God is just reminding me not to take our pastor for granted, and I hope that you use his time to really thank God uh, for the pastor that you have and for this congregation and this church, and not take anything, not even your health, uh, for granted. And hope all of you are healthy as we collectively get older together. Uh, Since I last saw you, I actually began working as a part-time coordinator for a program called Rise Together. Um, R, renew. I, uh, inspire. S, support. E, empower together, which is a national mentoring and networking program for women of color in ministry. Um, I like networking. I like empowering women. uh, I like... uh, having the thought of mentoring, being mentored, uh, and so forth, having the relationship. Uh, but for me, the best part was that it was a part-time job. Um, and so it still afforded me the possibility and the flexibility of attending different gatherings and conferences. And so I've been very fortunate this year to uh, attend different gatherings in Washington, D.C., in San Diego, in Long Beach, California, Um In St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, recently I just got back last week from the triennial gathering of Presbyterian women of the PCUSA, PW, at Louisville, Kentucky. And so, uh, having the opportunity, and I'm sure a lot of you, because of your work, have traveled here and there, but as I have traveled, I can see and experience that the world has become really a better place in that it is more convenient, it is more efficient it is more comfortable, it is more connected because of all the advancements in technology and science. So uh, we live in a digital world that used to be the analog world. And I think, again, uh, just as we take sometimes our pastor for granted or this church for granted, we also end up taking for granted the amazing technology around us. Uh, Your children, I think, will be more so entrenched in technology. I don't know if I shared this with some of you, but a few years ago, I had a three-year-old come to my house um, with a family, and she was so frustrated with my picture frame because she was looking at the picture, and she kept swiping it, and it wouldn't move. And so she's like, and it's not moving. So I think they take it for granted, things that we could not even possibly imagine, uh, could have imagined even 10, 15 years ago. So in your fingertips, uh, you have GPS, smartphones, YouTube, so you can watch shows from all around the world, maybe sometimes in real time. Again, you get entertainment, weather, traffic, news, all at your fingertips instantaneously. You could get it right away. We do indeed live in a very interconnected world. Um, I didn't have cable TV for a long time, but about 15 years ago, because of my grandparents, uh, we ended up getting basic cable at my house. Um, And you could tell that this is New York City, because when you get basic cable, you could get seven Korean channels. (laughs) And so I remember watching um, the news broadcast from Korea. Uh, It was, I think, live broadcast. And so after the news broadcast, they had the weather from all around the world. And so from Dubai to Beijing to Los Angeles, they showed the weather for New York City. And so I was thinking, oh my goodness, I know how to dress today because I'm getting weather, New York City weather, from a Korean program that was broadcasting in Seoul that was now showing in my cable TV in Queens, New York. That's how connected we are these days because of technology. Uh, my mother came to the United States in 1972, and then my father, and then uh, my brother, sister, and I. But in 1972, she came by herself and went to Buffalo, and that's how I know Pastor Davis' family, uh, because his family was in Buffalo. And she was telling me that back in the olden days, you know, when you called back home to Korea, uh, the call was very expensive, anywhere from $5 to $10 a minute. And that's why the phone calls were really short. They would call and say, hi. I'm alive, bye. And then they would hang up because the calls were so expensive. But again, we take for granted that we could make free, mind you, free international calls, whether through Kaka Talk, WeChat, WhatsApp, to anywhere in the world, as long as they're connected with Wi-Fi or data or the internet. What used to cost an arm and a leg, we could just call for free at any time, anywhere. Computers used to take up a whole room as big as this room in the 1960s and 70s. Now we have desktops and laptops and iPads, smartphones that can be used with a touch or even voice command. We can work from home. We can do our shopping. We can do our banking. We can order food. We can play games. We can watch dramas and movies. We can chat with friends all through our computers. You don't ever have to go out again. You don't ever have to wear pants again, because you could be at home 24-7. So technology definitely brings us more convenience, more comfort, more freedom, more flexibility. But, but, and I want to talk about that but today, convenience, comfort, freedom, flexibility, but there are also side effects to all this advancement. Now, there are more than three, but being a good Presbyterian, I will stop with three, and this is just my interpretation and experience. You could probably add more to the three that I will share. But the first side effect that I see with all the advancement of technology and science is that, one, technology makes us lazy and dumber. We sit in front of our computers all day. We do not move or exercise as much as we should. I guess these days now, you know, they feel a little conscious or have a guilty conscience, and so you use your computer standing up, and that's supposed to make up for all the exercise that we should be doing. Uh, But when we do have an opportunity to move, we don't. Or maybe I can't speak for all of you. When I have an opportunity to move, I don't. Because I have become lazy with all this technology. I might have shared this reference uh, with you before, but I remember years ago that uh, I didn't know where I left my remote control for the television. So instead of going three feet, turning on the TV, coming back, oh, it's not loud enough, going there, putting up the volume, changing the channel, 너무 귀찮았어요. It was too bothersome. So I just did not watch TV for about a week. (laughs) Technology makes us lazy. Technology makes us dumber. God forbid that you should ever lose or misplace your phones. There goes all your contact information, your schedule, your memos, your notes, your plans. I, I put we, but I guess um, I will say, I will say uh, a loose we basically have become useless beings because of technology. Uh, folks don't remember. And memorize, like we used to, phone numbers, addresses, birthdays. So, once again, God forbid that you lose your phone because without your phone, you will not be connected. You will become useless. And I remember many years ago, uh, a friend of mine told me about a fiction, uh, science fiction novel that he had read. And um, I don't know the title, but it went something basically like this that in this fictional world, but I think the more I think about it, it has become more of a reality. All things uh, ran on computers and computer chips. And so the apocalypse came not because of a big world war, but because all the computers crashed. And so, since everything was done and run on computers, people didn't know how to do anything. So, after the computers crashed, they had to start all over again as a civilization trying to learn, okay, how do we farm our food? How do we take care of our children? How do we do all these things that the computers used to do for us? I don't, I'm don't. i not standing here today to knock down technology. Um, I have acknowledged it, and I appreciate it, and I, I am the beneficiary of the advancements of technology. But what I do want to kind of uh, make a note of here is to say, you know, they are just gadgets, and materials, and I hope that you will keep them as such. We all need to be aware to keep the things that we have as possessions and don't become possessed by it. Now, oftentimes with the newest brand, uh, the most brand new uh, version, the toy, the technology, we feel like we have to buy that. And instead of us owning it, Possessing it, sometimes we become possessed by it. We don't own it, it owns us. And this doesn't have to be technology. Sometimes folks buy expensive dishes. You don't own it, it owns you. You never use it. You put it in a nice cabinet, kind of look at it and say, oh, I own it. But you don't dare touch it because you're afraid that you're going to crack it or it's going to uh, break or something like that. So in anything, whether it's technology, gadgets, or whatever you might have, I caution all of us to make sure that we keep them as possessions and that we are not possessed or obsessed by it. Let us own the things that God has blessed us with. Let's not be owned by them. So my first side effect for all this advancement in technology is that technology makes us lazy and dumber. The second side effect that I see is technology makes us impatient. We don't know how to wait anymore. We have become the wiki generation. Wiki, a Hawaiian word for fast, quick, and easy. Everything has to be instantaneous, easy, quick, fast. There was a time, and I don't know if some of you still write letters, When we used to have what's called snail mail and waited for days, days mind you, to get a response for the letter or card that we might have written or typed on the typewriter. The younger ones, do you guys know what a typewriter is? So we used to have something like that. And so we have lost our capacity to wait. For those of you who were around, uh, when we used to dial up to get the internet, no, you're just hoping and praying nobody picks up the phone to stop your connection, and it would take minutes upon minutes with that sound, you all know the sound that comes with ding 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 ding, right? It would take a long time for us to even get connected to the internet. But now we get frustrated when we are not connected within seconds to Wi-Fi or to our data plans. We don't want to wait anymore. Actually, I think we don't know how to wait anymore. So much so that uh, I hear that there's a movement called the slow food movement, where people deliberately take time to prepare their food, eat their food, to combat the culture of fast foods. Gadgets are supposed to help us save time. But let me ask you, do you really have more time because of the gadgets that you own? And what are they helping us save time for? When you do find out, oh, I have an extra hour here or there, what do you end up using that hour for? Do we really feel less burdened or stressed because of all the technology around us? Technology makes us lazy and dumber. Technology makes us impatient. Thirdly, The third side effect, I would like to say, is technology makes us less human. I think in many ways, because of technology or the the advancements in it, we have lost our selfhood in some sense, our humanity, our responsibility, the control that we have over our lives. And I just want to say, to myself included, I hope that we don't abdicate our responsibilities Our control ourselves to technology. Uh, I know with all the security concerns, I I know with my Yahoo email, like uh, about a year ago, they asked me, you know, oh, we'll text you on your phone and you could say that you're the person trying to get into your email, so make sure that you say okay when you try to get into your email. And then I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what if I don't have my phone? What if I lost my phone? Can I ever get into my email? And somebody told me, yeah, yeah, you just use another uh, email account and they'll text you the code in order to get to your original email that you want to get to. And I'm going, oh my goodness. There was a day when I wanted to see my email, I would just log on and see it. Now I have to go through all these uh, routes to get to what I originally wanted to do. Technology makes us less human. Um, Of course, none of you do this, but... I think I see more and more folks, younger students, they're sitting side by side. And instead of facing each other and talking to each other, how often have you seen them texting each other? I remember when I used to work at the YWCA, we had a a group of young students that we took to ABC Studios. And they got a chance to talk with some of the anchors, and we got to actually see a broadcast of the show. But what struck me was, instead of looking at the actual people right in front of them, All of them kind of looked at the monitor uh, that was being broadcasted, even when there was a live person right there in front of them. And I recently heard that for millennials these days, there's something that uh, they don't actually need or use anymore. And I'm like, what is that? Doorbells. Because they don't get out of the car to ring the bell and say, hey, I'm here. There's constant texting going on. I'm 10 minutes away. I'm 5 minutes away. I'm here right now. And then they'll come out, again, could be a bit more efficient, but there is no effort made to go to see somebody face-to-face. We are becoming a world of AI, artificial intelligence. Uh, I don't have HBO or the, the other channels, and I've heard about Westworld, but there are more and more shows on TV, movies, news about toys that are becoming more robotized, computerized, even our cars, even our vacuum cleaners. And so I know there are some people who say, oh, we need to stop immigration because we're losing jobs. No, no, no. I don't think it's immigration, but it's automation and computerization. Um, I had to cross the Whitestone Bridge, and I think it started last year. No more tolls. There go the jobs. Uh, I know some of you have automatic banking. I'm still kind of shy about that. So sometimes I still pay bills over the phone. But when I want to talk to somebody, you know, I have to just push buttons. And that might be easier for a lot of people. But call me old school, I still like talking to somebody, a real person on the phone. And so every time I hear a real voice, I always thank them. Oh, thank you for answering the phone. It's nice talking to a real live person. Technology, in many ways, makes us less human. And I know I talk about The Simpsons a lot. I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, it is probably one of the longest-running, if not the longest-running sitcom on television. I think it became 28 years old this year. But I remember many years ago, watching an episode, which was a critique of society then, but I think it's more appropriate for a critique of our society today. And I think the episode went something like this. Homer witnessed a crime. And so he's like, ah, I got to call the police department. So he calls the police department, and then there's a recording that says, you have called the Springfield Police Department. If the crime is a robbery, press one. If it's a killing, press two. Two. If the killing that you are witnessing is a homicide, press one. If it's fratricide, press two. If it's suicide, press three. And so I remember watching that thinking, how ridiculous is that? But then I'm thinking, how far are we off? from the computerization and the automation of something that is so urgent as life, especially these days. I give you that working with robots and machines and computers is clean, is technical, is efficient, is neutral, no headaches, is easier, less pudam, less pressure. Why do I say less pressure? I remember watching a documentary on Japan and I caught the last part of it, but it, it showed a portion where, for the Japanese, um, it was saying that if they see a robot seller outside the store, or a robot seller inside the store, they're more likely to go in. Because if there was a real human being in the front or in the store, they would feel pressured to buy something. And if they don't buy something, they would feel pudambiane, they would feel um, uh, guilty in not helping that person uh, make their wages. But if there was a computer, you could go in, look around, and not feel pressure at all to buy anything and just come out. So working with computers, technology, robots, easier. No pressure, efficient, neutral, no headaches. And we hear all the time right now of AI beating us in chess, in paduk, go, and beating us in all sorts of computations, and competitions. Engineers and scientists are working hard every day to make robots and computers faster, smarter, better. They're working like crazy to get more nuanced facial features and expressions. And they're trying so hard to get the outer portion of the robot to to feel like it has more flesh-like coverings. When I was in seminary, um, I remember this professor talking about a story about the supercomputer. And he was saying that there was this big supercomputer that could answer all questions and had the answers to all computations. So people came and asked about history and math and science. And finally, one kid came up and said to the supercomputer, wow, you're the supercomputer. You know, you could answer all questions. So how does it feel? And then the supercomputer was kind of stalling and could not compute, and it ultimately crashed. Because there are limitations to what the machine can do. But again, scientists and engineers are working so hard to make robots and computers more like humans. And as they are trying to make robots become more like humans, the irony and the flip side of that is that human beings today, in today's society, I feel, our, I feel we are becoming less and less human. We're losing our humanity. WMDs, drones, pre- precision attacks, war-like video games, remotely controlled battles, removed from the faces, blood, gore, actual persons, and suffering victims. People are dealing less and less with other people and more and more with machines and computers. So in the midst of all these changes and so-called progress, I want to remind all of us that Christians are called to be countercultural people. We're called to go against the flow of the world. Last year, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and we are called Protestants. Why? Because we protested. We are a people who protested the trends of the world. We are a people who protested the culture of the time. We are a people who protested the corruption within the church. And as followers of Christ, we must fight the culture of convenience We must fight the culture of dehumanizing technology. We have to work and strive to retain and sustain and claim our humanity. Now, how can we do that? How can we retain, sustain, and claim our humanity? I believe by continuing to meet face-to-face, by not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. We have, in today's society, less opportunities to meet in the flesh, to have and to experience the human touch. We email, we text, we Skype, or use any other video conferencing uh, programs. I don't do Facebook. I don't know how to tweet. But I know those are social media platforms that people use. And so, yes, there is virtual reality and you feel like you're getting connected. But I have a feeling that people are being more isolated and feeling more lonely as the days go by. So we must overcome this trend, counter the culture, and make the effort to meet in the flesh. To meet in the flesh. Just as we put more value in a handmade, hand-woven or sewn sweater, or handmade work of art. Well, I don't know about you, I don't like getting uh, a card that has all the words that are already printed in the card and then a name is just signed. You know, just a note or something that is handwritten, I appreciate a lot more, because the effort was put there, because some sort of humanity was put onto that card. And just as we value more of these hand-touched creations... We must also put more value in the human-to-human encounters. We must not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I think the way to develop this encountering moments, uh, to develop this chong or this bond, again, is by not giving up meeting. Now, I think every culture has something that's called chung. But if you grew up Korean, Korean-American, it's a word that's kicked around. Um, again, it's not something that is exclusive to Koreans. Uh, it's uh, a relationship that all cultures have. But I think Korean tends to have a word for it and make a big deal out of this thing called chung. And so some people translate chung as bond, right? Bond. But it's really hard to talk about chung in just one word. What is cheong? It's sort of a relationship that you have, that's loyalty, but beyond that, but it's deeper. And so all these ways of trying to explain Cheng, but uh, I like to share three ways that different people have expressed what Cheng is. The way to develop Cheng is to make sure that you do not give up meeting. And so what is Cheng? Somebody explains chung, this bond, as the crossing of boundaries. 정은 uh, meaning uh, this bond can be developed when you continuously cross boundaries and you become indebted to the other. It sounds like a long-winded way of uh, explaining this relationship, but if you have a boundary and you say, you stay there and I'll stay here and never the two shall meet, but we never cross that boundary, then no bonding, no chong is developed. You need to kind of push into the other person's space. They need to kind of push into yours. And there has to be a constant sense of being in debt. And so when I was thinking about this particular definition, I thought of Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. A friend uh, was knocking at a friend's door after midnight, around midnight, and say, hey, I have a guest. I don't have any food. Give me three loaves of bread. And the friend inside says, ah, oh, please go away. You know, All the lights are off. The children aren't sleeping. Come back tomorrow. And because of Chong, that person kept knocking and knocking and knocking, persisted until this friend finally got out of bed and gave to him as much as he needed. Chong is developed when there is this crossing of boundaries, when there, is debts, when there are debts that are created. So that's one way of looking at Chong. Somebody else explained chung as repetition. Chung is repetition. You gotta see them all the time. You develop chung for somebody when you constantly see them. In Korean, there's miun uh, chung and koun chung. There's uh, uh, the nice bond, and then there's like the ni- not so nice bond. There's somebody that you constantly see all the time and gets on your nerve, and you're like ah oh, ah oh, ah, oh, but you see them all the time. And then one day that person's not there. You're like, oh, I kind of that, miss that person. <laughs> so that's like biong, right? But that comes and develops by repetition. Chong is developed whenever you see somebody over and over and over again. A third way uh, somebody describes chong is basically chong is like stickiness. You know, it, it gets messy at times, but it's sticky. And so when you're close and when you're uh, constantly, repetitiously meeting, crossing boundaries, they end up sticking to you, you end up sticking to them. (laughs) Stickiness. So yes, uh, when you think about all these different things, you're like, oh, human relationships are not sterile, they're not clinical, they're not simple and easy like what we might have with robots and computers. Be with human beings involves stickiness. And messiness. You all know that when you're with people, things could get pretty difficult. As somebody always has a different opinion. When you're with people, things could get a little frustrating. Okay, everybody be there at 8 a.m. tomorrow, 8 25 a.m. there oh, we're still waiting for that one person who still hasn't come. Being with people is not the most efficient way to do things. I could say this because I'm Asian. But Asian Americans are notorious in not being able to make a decision about where to go and eat, whether it be after worship or wherever it might be. It takes an hour. We want a consensus. Where should we eat? How about this? No, what do you think? Okay, so we keep talking. And again, I'm sure it's true to other folks, but I see this more with Asian Americans. It does take us an hour to say goodbye. We're at the sanctuary, all right, see you later, bye. And then we somehow end up in the fellowship hall, oh, and we talk some more, okay, bye. And then we see each other in the parking lot and we'll just continue to talk. And so things are not very efficient when it comes to being with people. Sticky, messy, difficult, frustrating, not efficient. Again, being with others, being in a group, being a community can be hard. It's really easier to go it alone, do it alone, or just to deal with a machine or a robot or computer. It's just so much easier and quicker to travel alone. No headaches, no waiting for people, more freedom. If you've ever been in a group tour, you have to wait for that last person. But it's so much easier by yourself. But let me remind all of us, we are not called to the easy life, the broad and easy way, where many can be found. We are called instead to the narrow and difficult way, and few find it. There is an African proverb that goes like this. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Our faith lives is not a sprint, but is a marathon we still have a long way to go. And so if we want to get there, I hope that we will make an effort, no matter how difficult and frustrating and not efficient it might be at times, to go together. Our humanity is maintained and sustained when we meet with others in the flesh. The word became flesh. Let us also meet In the flesh. Jesus, the word, did not come as an intention. Jesus did not come as a text or an email or an Instagram. Jesus came. He became flesh to meet us in the flesh. Verse 20 in today's passage says, By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. Do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but meet in the flesh, in the body, as the body of Christ, especially as we see the day approaching. I'm not here to say, oh, Jesus will come back October 2035. I don't know. And none of us here knows when Christ will return. But I do know that we are one year closer to his return than we were a year ago, that we are one week closer to his return than we were a week ago, and that we are one day closer to his return than we were yesterday. So I hope and pray that this congregation will not give up meeting, but seek it out and appreciate each opportunity. I was looking at your bulletin, and it seems that you are living that. Not only in worship here, but when you have your Bible study, and you have your annual retreat coming, you have your book club gatherings, you have your fellowship small group gatherings. 귀찮아요. Sometimes, like, why do we have so many meetings? Oh, my goodness. I got to get all the kids dressed. I got to put on pants. I got to go and meet people. And so you just want to say, could we just... Zoom our Bible study, or just meet, you know, from our own homes. Do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. I hope you appreciate the opportunities that you have to meet, to connect, to develop relationship and chung, and to make sure that you hold on to your humanity. This is how we can fully experience, together as the body of Christ, the abundant blessings that God has given to his church. That is how we will retain and strengthen the body of Christ, both figuratively and literally. May the gathering of the people of God, may this act be our act of faith and protesting. May this be our act of counterculture and faithfulness to fight against a world that is becoming less and less human each day. I had a supervisor uh, when I did CPE uh, to train to become a chaplain, uh, and she said this, you know, Jesus Christ did not only come to this world to teach us how to become more divine, he came also to teach us how to become more human. Humanity, we have our shortcomings by far. But it is also a gift from God, which we should not abdicate. When we meet together, we can then, as today's passage says in verse 22, draw near to God. In verse 24, we can then spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Verse 25, when we meet together, when we do not give up meeting together, we can encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. I would like to congratulate you in showing up. You know, in milestones in our lives, I don't know about you, but I much prefer somebody showing up to my birthday party or my wedding or my graduation than to have an email or a card or a text. There is something to be said about being present with another human being. And so I congratulate you in being present today for this worship service, that you did not mail it in, that you did not uh, email it in, that we are meeting in the flesh. Our praise team leader was saying that one of his favorite parts of worship is to pass to peace. That's when you actually experience the human touch. And in the flesh, you are saying, I am so glad to be in bond in relationship, in Christ with you. May your worship every time you gather in the flesh be your act of protesting, your act of faithfulness, your act of counterculture, and your act of faith. Let us pray. Lord God, sometimes it's so easy to just let things flow and abdicate what is happening around us. Yes, we are grateful for the technology which we use to further your word and to try to establish your kingdom here on earth. But sometimes, Lord, when we rely too much on technology and do not sacrifice our efforts, our time, then we end up giving up control and then we end up losing a bit of our humanity. But you remind us And you tell us, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but continue to spur each other on towards love and good deeds, encourage each other so that we as the body of Christ can draw nearer to you every time we gather. And so God, we ask humbly that you will touch us, that you will melt us and mold us and fill us so that we could truly become your body that we could reflect your grace and glory to the world that needs to be touched by your grace. God, we ask that you will nourish us physically and spiritually, and especially as we prepare for the communion, that we would once again think upon when the word became flesh and when the flesh was torn for our sins so that we could participate in this bond, in this chong, in this love, in this relationship with our Savior. To you we give all glory, honor, power, and praise. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.